It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back on a snowy day. Be safe out there. Hope you guys are listening from the comfort of your home or somewhere where you're not having to deal too much with what I imagine is going to be a slippery day out there. So yeah, be careful. Um, Pull up a chair, listen for a while here, and uh, just take it easy for a bit. We're going to talk a lot about Vikings in a little bit here. Andrew Kramer joins me, as he often does on Tuesdays, for a film review on the Vikings. We will look at offensive line play, which has been very up and down lately, but was trending upward in that 33-26 win over New England on Thursday. Um, We'll also get to an idea of maybe should they be blitzing a little bit more had some success with that late in the game against the Patriots after Mac Jones had racked up a, a big, 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 big passing day against them, almost 400 yards on the day, an unexpected thing, although against a depleted Vikings secondary, maybe not totally unexpected. Also get to some gopher basketball here in a minute and uh, some disappointing wild news. And on that theme of disappointment, though, let's get to... What did I miss? The Timberwolves. Um, That was pretty much the nightmare game for them on uh, on Monday night. Not only did they get routed, um, defense a no-show again for the second straight game, lose 142-127 in Washington. But not only did they lose that game, but Carl Anthony Towns goes down with what looks like a really serious injury, at least initially, in the second half. Now it gets diagnosed later as a right calf strain, uh, but he was having hard, a hard time putting any weight on it at all in that game after after it happened. So want to see what that looks like going forward. Um, hopefully he's avoided a really serious injury, but it certainly looks like he would miss some time if he couldn't put any weight on it at, you know, when he went down. A non-contact injury looks scary. The, uh, you know, the immediate worry when you see something like that and you grab for the calf is that it could be an Achilles, but it sounds like maybe it's less serious than that. Again, we'll see more when more testing is done, but uh, n- nevertheless, not uh, not what you want to see your, your $200 million um, all-NBA player go down in a game where you've frankly given a poor defensive effort again, and that, that's got to be the thing that's frustrating anybody who watches this team right now is the inconsistency of effort from night to night, the inconsistency of results following from that inconsistency of defensive effort on a night to night basis. And I mean, you saw it again in this game. It was, it was evident in that, uh, that game against, um, against the, the Warriors the other day, they just got run out of the gym in the first half. And that happened again. They were down, I think 77, 58, at the end of the first half um, on on Monday, Kristaps Porzingis has you know, over 40 points in the game. The Wolves made a little bit of a run at the start of the third quarter, got it down to like 10, 9, something like that. But you know, Washington just you know opened it right back up again, and from there it was full throttle ahead. So I don't know what still to make of this team. We'll get into more of this, I think, on uh, on Wednesday show when I have Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer, on. But you know we've kind of been looking at this twenty-game point as kind of the the evaluation point for the team, and they went into this Washington game ten and ten. So again, plenty of uh, plenty of ups, plenty of downs. If you are ten and ten, but overall, I still don't feel like we have a good sense of the identity of this team, or if we have a sense for the identity of this team right now, it's not a good one. 
Um, you know, I think Chris Finch, head coach, is, is getting pretty frustrated too with what he sees out there. That you know, the not knowing what team is going to show up on a given night has to be frustrating for him in particular. And in fact, he spoke to that after Monday's game. Let's listen to that his session with reporters after that game. You know, I think that's there's a lot of teams that feel when you look around the league, you feel like we're all in the same boat talking to some other coaches out there. Um, not not really knowing what what team is going to show up from night to night, you know. Um, and I just told our guys, you know, five days ago we played our best basketball of the season, and we feel like we're a million miles away from that. But reality is, I don't think we are. You know, we just got to get our turnovers under control and our fouling, and you know, those are things that have been kind of bugaboos for us all season, if you will. And when they rear their head like they have done in the last couple games, it's been uh, really, 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 you know, detrimental. Now, is that coaching? Is that leadership? What is that that can change that uh, that feeling around? Because you know that that can't that can't be the the status report going forward. That can't be how this team is operating on on a night in night out basis. Not knowing what you're going to get from this team, especially from an effort standpoint. And there's some nights where you see them gelling. Looks like they're loose. Some nights looks like they just don't care. That piece of it, that's unprofessional. That piece of it has to change. And I don't know who who it is incumbent upon to change, whether it's the players collectively themselves, whether it's individuals, whether it's whether it's on Finch, whatever it is, that piece of it, they're not going to find out how good they can be until they start giving a consistent effort. So that again, that piece has got to be frustrating for anyone who watches it, and it sure sounds like it is frustrating to Chris Finch. Speaking of frustrating quick, the Gophers basketball team can't score, lose again. Um, ACC Big Ten Challenge, that one on uh, on uh, on Monday in uh, in at Virginia Tech, 67-57, your final in uh, in that game. You know, they went long stretches where they couldn't score in the first half. The defense was pretty good, um, you know, but the Virginia Tech took control to a 13-0 run. Um, they got up to a 39-27 lead at halftime, and then it was kind of curtains from there. The Gophers right now just don't have a whole lot of offense going. You know, uh, Jameson Battle's been a little bit slow coming back from his early season injury. Um, it sounds like Dawson Garcia was playing through the flu, which kind of makes me wonder why he was playing at all. He did not have a good game. Um, you can see the pieces here when and if Garcia and Battle get going consistently on a night-in, night-out basis. They're not giving him a ton of offense uh, right now, at least not in this game. Um, some of the younger players starting to play better, including Farrell Payne. I, I like his game, but uh, you know, overall, it, it, it's it's not a, it's not a good product right now. It's it's a frustrating team to watch. So I'm going to need to see a little bit more there as well. But you know, like I said, if Garcia and Battle get going, you can see some of the pieces in place. They were a combined four for 19 on Monday. You two. You know, be probably your two best scorers uh, going four for nineteen. You're not going to win a lot of games, especially against a major conference opponent when that happens. But Ben Johnson still got a lot of work to do here in year two to see where this team goes. It's not going to get any easier. Sunday, uh, Big Ten opener against number five Purdue. Good luck with that, with the way they're playing right now. That said, I'm giving giving them the benefit of the doubt, giving them a chance to see how this builds, but not loving what I see so far this year. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. 
And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time on Daily Delivery. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune Vikings writer joins me as usual. Andrew, the film is more than a few days old now, a little bit different than normal, where we're kind of talking about a game that's pretty fresh, but maybe that's given us a little bit more time to think about what we saw against New England, a 33-26 win for the Vikings. And Andrew, what struck me is just how different that game was um, from the perspective of the offensive line in particular, just the ability to move the ball uh, compared to the Dallas game. I mean, two teams that seemed like they, um, in talking about Dallas and New England, two teams that seemed like they had similar, you know, things that they could throw at the Vikings in terms of pass rush, in terms of, you know, being able to, to cover on the back end and, you know, not have to, not necessarily have to blitz to, to get home, but it was almost like night and day in terms of how much time Kirk Cousins had to throw. What what did you see from this game in terms of how they were able to protect him, especially in comparison to that last, you know, the 40 to three loss? Yeah, I thought Kevin O'Connell had a very smart game plan for Matthew Judon, who is the Patriots um, top pass rusher, led the NFL in sacks. I think he still does after this weekend, even though the Vikings did really well against him. Um, they ran at him multiple times, even though they didn't run the ball well, they were aiming the runs toward him, um, trying to soften him up a little bit. And then they're running some play actions away from him. Um, that's just smart kind of game planning. It's simple stuff, but it's stuff that I don't think they game planned really well against Dallas. Um, and then also uh, you just saw these, these offensive linemen kind of ebb and flow, right? Brian O'Neill is one of the most consistent and probably with Darisaw, you got the two consistent tackles, but that interior line, depending on who they're playing, depending on the week, um, you might get very different versions of Ezra Cleveland, of Garrett Bradbury, and certainly Ed Ingram still varies very wild, wildly as a, as a rookie. So um, we saw them play better on Thursday night, uh, just like we saw them play in Buffalo. And, and you see that against Dallas, and it was the complete drop-off. So we've seen this kind of up and down, up and down, uh, performance with uh, some of the members of this offensive line. And then, of course, on Thursday night, you're playing Blake, Blake Brandle at uh, left tackle for the entire game. And you needed a lot of guys, whether it was Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook, uh, Johnny Munt at times, you needed a lot of guys to step in and help him. And, and they had a good plan to help him out as well. So given that, you know, given that variance and given, you know, what I'd say is by and large, what we've thought of as an improved line at a lot of points this year although one that's you know when when it has faltered has gotten them in trouble this year especially the teams that can rush for and you know make Kirk Cousins make those decisions uh, quickly but still not have a lot of places to throw the ball and that's going to be kind of the gold standard for any defense any pass rush but what given that and given what the wild the wide swing the wild swings in performance in in these last three weeks what what do we trust at this point what what what's the what should we trust as kind of the the norm or the expectation for this line going forward? Is it just Dallas is a bad matchup and they had a bad day or are there deeper cracks that don't just get exposed every week that they just had a good week, but they could it could be bad any particular week? Well, I think if you look at it, obviously the nine and two, right? So the yes. outlier is are the are the lose the losses. The outlier are are the moments that this offensive line is not 
um, at least holding up to the to the level that you need them to, or doing just enough anyway. Because this offensive line's not top ten, or maybe if they are, they're on the fringe uh, of it. If if you want to even be that generous with them. So what you want is just enough, right? You're just asking for enough. You're asking for the two offensive tackles to play at their level to help hold up. And then you can focus your help on the interior. Um, that Dallas game, I think is a little bit of an outlier because some of the people who played the worst were the offensive tackles. You yeah. saw Micah Parsons, you saw Demarcus Lawrence, you saw Christian Derrissaw get beat for two sacks before he got injured. Uh, Brian O'Neill was having some rough moments as well in that game. Those they those moments were not as rough against Von Miller in the Bills, and those moments haven't been as rough through pretty much the entire season. So I think those tackles, when Derrissaw comes back and is healthy, I think those two guys are going to be guys you can rely on for the most part. And I think Kevin O'Connell, the part that you would assume is going to get better is Kevin O'Connell understanding his personnel a little bit better, understanding that, hey, we're coming off a great game in Buffalo that doesn't mean Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram are going to put together the same great performance against Dallas. Maybe we should have some different things in our bag in terms of quick throws or getting the ball out, whatever. Um, and, and that Dallas game too was such a, uh, they were putting so many bad situations in right. general, but um, yeah, I do think the part you would assume would get better is, is the coaching adjustments, the game planning. And you did see some good signs from that on Thursday night. Well, and what was interesting, and we'll shift gears a little bit here in a minute, but what was interesting is that they didn't just abandon the idea that they could push the ball down the field, right? Like that was one thing we were talking about maybe going into the games, like, yikes, like like if, if this Dallas did that to them, do they have to completely rethink how they're going to try to manage their passing game? Do they need to give a lot more help, fewer guys out on routes, shorter routes, things like that? But they still tried to push the ball down the field, especially on that, you know, on the game-winning drive that played down the field to Jefferson, where, you know, he's got the safeties over the top, the corners right there. Kirk kind of fits it right in there. He had enough time for Jefferson to be 30 yards down the field on that play. That, that's a longer developing play, and you got to have a certain amount of trust the protection's going to hold up for that kind of route. Yeah, that was a 36-yarder, um, and it was so impressive, right, for Jefferson to hold on to that while McCourty is just coming right into his face. And I thought McCourty played that. I watched it back today, and I thought he played it really, really well because he's watching Kirk, and Jefferson's faking an out-and-up pattern trying to throw off the corner. And so if McCourty's watching the receiver, he's seeing Jefferson run an out route by the time Kirk's releasing that very well-timed uh, ball. Um, if he's watching Jefferson, he's not – making the play to go after the deep ball, but he's watching Kirk and seeing that he's uncorking this really deep ball with Matthew Judon in his face and McCordy just times it perfectly, but Jefferson's just makes the better play. Um, that was great being, being better than uh, good on that spot. And then you got to credit Kirk too, in those, those spots too, because he got drilled by Judon. So Kirk has to stay in the pocket. Like he always does shows that toughness. And then there was a play earlier, Jefferson's 37 yarder, where I thought it was a good um, coaching call. It was third and seven. Uh, it was a really bad spot to be in. If you're the Vikings, you don't want to be in those third and longs. And they call up a slot fade to Jefferson where they bring him in closer to the formation, do a, a shotgun, quick three little mini drop for Kirk, get the ball out quickly while having Dalvin Cook essentially tied to Blake Brandle's hip, helping him block Matthew Judon on that long third down. And Cook did an excellent job. Cook is an underrated blocker and somebody who's really helped them out through some of these tough spots, including uh, against the Patriots on Thanksgiving. Good thoughts there. Let's shift to the defense for a little while here too, just because you know they give a lot of yards to Dallas. They give up a lot of passing yards to Mac Jones. 
until they started to figure some things out in the end of game situations. And one of those things, like we talked about before we started recording, was started throwing more pressure at him, throwing more bodies at it, trying to disrupt whatever timing was going. They just weren't getting enough with four. And there's obviously a risk when you do that, especially when you're thin in the secondary, when you, you don't have you know, your, your plan B, your plan C corner, even in, in the second spot with, with all the injuries they had. Um, what did you see from that standpoint? And is that something that they should maybe deploy sooner and more frequently against some other opponents that they're going to see this year? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's notable when you look at them playing Mike White and the Jets coming up, right? Like you're not going to be playing these quarterbacks who theoretically should be able to pick you apart. Um, what you are playing though, are, I mean, everybody's got decent enough coaches now that if you sit back in these zones, they're going to scheme up ways. If you can't get four man pressures, um, Dalvin Tomlinson coming back is going to help a lot with that. Cause he was actually one of their best, uh, certainly their best interior pass rusher before he went down. Um, so this is a judgment call on the coaching staff's part if they want to keep doing it, but it worked against the Patriots. When you went back and watched it, they blitzed on three of the last four third downs in that game that resulted in two incompletions and a sack. Um, Mac Jones and the Patriots just totally, uh, kind of crapped out at the very end and weren't able to do much of anything after throwing for 382 yards, pretty much throughout the entire game, a career high for Mac Jones, that Patriots offense was awful going into the game and the Vikings made them look great until they started applying some extra pressure. Um, They weren't able to get that pressure earlier in the game. I think that part of that's a product of what the Patriots were doing to them. They had constant help off the edges for Zadarius and Daniil. And then sometimes when the Vikings move those guys inside, you're not getting the interior production from Daniil and Zadarius the way that I think you were expecting if you're the Vikings going into the season. And they didn't against the Patriots. So that's why they had to blitz. They had to send extra rushers. And I, I want to see if you're if you're a Vikings fan, you probably want to see them adjust quicker to that in a game if you look up and see, oh, Mac Jones or Mike White has 300 yards by the third quarter or whatever it was. Well, yeah, and they've got to have... A- Early in the year, at least, they had one of the lower blitz rates in the league. I have to imagine it's still fairly well down there. I don't know if you have the something close to the numbers in front of you, but I imagine they're, they're they can't be top half of the league at, at any stretch. No, they yeah they have the eighth lowest um, blitz rate at like fifteen percent, and they blitzed Mac Jones was about fifteen percent. So they're they're pretty consistent in what they do. Um, they do change it obviously a little bit with, with the opponent. And I do like what they can do with their four man rushes in terms of moving guys around, twisting guys, move, you know, the stunts and the games, as they call it, that did work as well in some of those spots, but, um, they also have some good defensive backs and some, in terms of veteran guys and some veteran linebackers who can disguise these things and they don't get used very much. And, and I think it could help them, uh, cause you got, Mike White next week, and then you got Jared Goff and the Lions the week after that. Yeah, two guys who aren't probably going to hurt you with, you know, running out of the pocket or necessarily improvising, but guys who, you know, if you give them time, will find the 15 to 20 yard completions. And, you know, that's a, it's a slower, uh, slower way to to go, but it's, it's a way to go. Um, and they, they could lose those games if they're not careful because Jets rediscovered something with, with Mike White. And, you know, for as, you know, as much as the Lions still have the Lions record, they've been close in a lot of these games. Well, and that, that's true. And they've all got receivers, right? The Jets and the Lions do. And this Viking secondary is dealing with uh, issues right now, injuries. Cam Dantzler is not eligible to come back until that Lions game. So he's going to miss this week. And I talked to him last week. He's hopeful to come back as soon as possible. 
Uh, but you're stuck now with Duke Shelley potentially starting if a Caleb Evans is still not cleared. But even if Evans is cleared, he's a fourth round rookie um, who for all that he's shown is still going to go through some of those rookie moments in coverage. And then Cam Bynum screwed up in this game on Thursday night. Chandon Sullivan screwed up in this game. Harrison Smith got beat uh, on the opening drive. Um, and then obviously Duke Shelley, who was making his seventh NFL start, uh, got thrown on a lot in that game. So this secondary is not one that you can really rely on, I don't think, to just kind of hold their own every game. A lot of potential issues for a team that has a five and a half game lead, five game lead in the uh, <laughs> NFC North. Right. So I guess we'll we'll take uh, we'll take whatever whatever is in front of them, and they could clinch yep. uh, the division as soon as this weekend. So I, a lot of this is nitpicking, kind of future future oriented uh, stuff. But you know, it does bear watching because you know whatever you know postseason seems fairly inevitable at this point, and whenever they get there. They're probably going to face some of these teams like Dallas, San Francisco, some other team that has a pass rush and can, you know, can can be a problem for them or can throw the ball on them or some other thing. And they haven't really shown that they can necessarily stop teams like that this year. Yeah, exactly. Or now I think the current seven seed is is Washington. And if they get Chase Young healthy by that point, um, we already saw what that looked like with the matchup with the Washington front against the Vikings O-line. So um, they're going to face some great defenses, and then, yeah, eventually they'll face some good quarterbacks down the road. I, I'm not sure if it'll be in the wild card or divisional round, but we'll see. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Andrew Kramer, appreciate it. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Postscript to my conversation with Andrew. Sounds like uh, Vikings may, might be getting some uh, some depth back in the secondary at some point here, although got some bad news that Rookie corner Andrew Booth Jr. Sounds like he's going to need meniscus surgery. That could be the end of his season. Uh, But Kevin O'Connell did say Monday, looking promising that they'll get a Caleb Evans back in this game against the Jets on Sunday. And that, you know, Cameron Dantzler eligible to come off injured reserve the week after that. So maybe there's, you know, maybe they're going to get some of that depth back at corner. Although, like I said, down, uh, down Booth, now down Booth and down Lewis scene, they're two you know, two guys who are expected to contribute and help in the secondary as rookies. If they're both lost for the season, that puts them at a disadvantage to begin with. But you know, maybe some good news there and some extra good news that Dalvin Tomlinson sounds like he is he is on the road to play against the Jets on Sunday. That would be a big help in both the pass rush and the run stopping. It's Vikings poetry time on Daily Delivery. We missed a week. What a week to miss. I'm sure you would have had a lot of things to say, Keith, about uh that 40 to 3 loss against Dallas but uh, skipped right on over that and straight into the uh, into the uh, win over New England unless unless you didn't unless you have some saved up for me from uh, from the previous week i guess we'll find out with uh, with your vikus sir do you have a first one for me yes it kind of speaks to that that issue okay let's okay. do it camels have fat lips a dragon learns how to fly my poems are rusty Oh, because you missed a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Camels have fat lips. Where did like that's? It's true. Um, yeah, there's definitely five syllables. I speak from the heart. It's right? five syllables. It's but truth. This is it's, this is my truth. Yeah, it doesn't have much to do. Camels with the football have games. fat lips. They do have fat lips. Um, yeah, they they're kind of odd looking creatures in general. Useful, um, useful creatures, but um, to to what extent has a camel ever been useful? To not you? not to me at all. No, I've got nothing good to say about camels uh, in terms okay. of my own personal experience. But um, I think 
I think over the years they've proven to be pretty useful to, I don't know, somebody. Anyway, uh, haiku number two, please. Okay. I watched the whole game in real time to the end. Never again, sir. Why? Why not? That was a great game to watch in real time, wasn't it? It was, it was, it just speaks to an issue we've talked about a lot, which is this is such a nerve wracking team to watch. It, yes, that's I don't, true. I don't know how people put up with it for three plus hours every single week. Like, it is just, and it's been good for the most part. It's been fun. It's been enjoyable. It's just, wow, that is a roller coaster ride each and every week with this team. And, thankful oh i'm just tired yeah i'm still exhausted i'm still i had to take take you on a journey they they take you on a journey that is for sure it is yes yes and and so we we talked about many times i watched the 45 minute version most of the time after the game is done that is enough that is all my heart can take as a as a 143 year old man that is about the most that i can handle anymore is 45 minutes of this team and god bless them there that they're winning because could you imagine what life would be like if they had dropped about half of those i can't imagine that what life that was life in 2021 last, last year yes that was last yes. year yeah that's what it was like last year to watch them play all these close games then inexplicably lose at the end instead of un un you know just amazingly win at the end like the little things just keep happening and they keep winning the game they get a overturned touchdown they get a great pass from cousins to cousins to jefferson they get you know they get the timely plays on defense and then there you go there's the win there it is I, they're back this is how they I play tr- i truly believe that the fact that they're winning is the only thing keeping me alive with these crazy wins anymore yeah because i would have had a heart attack by by now well you don't look a day over 112 so well, thank you thank yeah. you it's very yeah. kind very you're very, very spry kind. you're a very spry 143 Okay. Um, I hope you get me a camel for my next birthday. I probably will. They're very useful creatures as we've established. Okay, Haiku 3. A dangerous sport. Outlaw the kickoff return. Unless the Vikings score. <laughs> right. That was nice to see, right? That was, uh, that was a... Speaking of useful, that was a useful play in that game because that game could have gone sideways at that moment right because wasn't new england up 23 16 at that point they just scored in the beginning of the second half and you know vikings offense had been moving the ball pretty well uh, against a pretty good defense but that was subject to change at any moment and they didn't do a ton with it until the very end after that but yeah it's a it's not really you don't see a lot of it in the modern nfl right they used to have Percy Harvin, you know, Cordero Patterson, all these, you know, a lot of great return guys for the Vikings. Leo Lewis, um, <laughs> back in the day. The, Captain the Fair Catch. Master Leo of the Lewis. Fair Catch. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, joking aside, it, it really isn't that big of a part of it. But uh, Wang Wu bringing that one back was, uh, was, was fun to watch. It was part of the deep hypocrisy of being a football fan, right? In that I really believe in anything that aids in the safety of what truly is a dangerous sport. Yes. And I do kind of think that they should outlaw the kickoff because it's just human missiles running down, having a gigantic head start running down and slamming into each other. And so I, I, I think it's a dangerous play and maybe not in everybody's best interest, but man, there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing that just changes the game and, and turns it around and brings people out of their feet when somebody 
takes the kickoff like that and just shows it right back in the other team's face with the with the touchdown. It is amazing to watch, even though I hate the 98% or 97% right. of them that end in somebody getting destroyed. It's kind of a weird, I mean, you know, I think punts even make a little bit more sense that, you know, hey, we didn't get it done. We got to give you the ball back. Um, here, we're going to kick it to you. But a kickoff, it's just like, Hey, we scored here. Just, just take the ball right here. That's, we're not. We're gonna. You go ahead and start right here. I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't make me terribly. It's more, like, it's more like you can have the ball. Yeah. But we are going to run at you as fast as we can and hurt you for now having the ball. Unless we try to just kick it really short, like ten yards, and try to get it ourselves, which is probably the weirdest rule in all of sports: the onside kick. It could be. It could be. Like that makes no sense. Why why is that even possible other than to add some element of drama to a, a game at the end? It, nope. The onside kick should what what is I the think, onside I think kick? Mr. Camel Lover answered his own question right there, but whatever. It's, it's excitement. It's excitement. It doesn't make doesn't make any sense in the context of the rules, but that's fine. It is excitement. Okay. Um haiku four. Yes. Who hates his team more? Bill Belichick or Rogers? Ouch, my ribs can't play. <laughs> so you're a little suspicious of the timing of his injuries. Is that what you're saying? That that it was just when they got to four and seven that we finally got the full disclosure about the thumb really is broken, and that it was in the midst of going to four and eight that we now have the rib problem. Are you are you suggesting that they're being more forthright about injuries now as some sort of excuse generation? I don't know. That that doesn't seem right to me. All I'm saying is, I'm not saying. Not saying. All I'm saying is that sometimes these these things are matters of convenience that they that they happen to happen at convenient times. Yes. And Aaron Rodgers whispering into the ear of a dying children a child that he has a broken thumb or whatever the deal was, and then. Um, magically getting hurt in a game that they were losing and and perhaps deciding that he won't be playing for the rest of the season would be awfully convenient at the at this particular juncture this room this this is something i was grappling with on monday and so i want to present you this before we go even though this isn't directly related to any of the four vikus what to you is more surprising the nine and two for the Vikings or the four and eight for the Packers? Because taken in taken together, they are astonishing to me. They are the the shock, one of the all-time shocks that I've experienced in sports. The two paths these teams have taken, but which one by itself is more surprising to you? That is a very tough question. I think I, I'm upon first reflection, I, I lean towards the nine and two Vikings. Okay. Just simply because I was convinced that this team was was not that good and would have a period of adjustment, and uh, the the culture change that has evidenced itself wouldn't be as pronounced, and so on and so forth. I mean, clearly by the end, everybody hated Mike Zimmer, and he needed to go, and that was the end of that. And so, for those of us who, during the course of our life, have, have worked for bad bosses and good bosses, right? <laughs> you know what that change uh, can be like. But I do. I was. I've been surprised because they didn't seem to do anything that was that much more to make them better 
not a lot of personnel changes and they were getting older and, and what have you. As far as the Packers are concerned, unless Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level, that team is not particularly talented. He has been carrying them for a very long time. And there's some talent there, and I'm obviously not as familiar with that team, but you're not talking about a whole bunch of guys who are all-star quality or of Aaron Rodgers um, within his stratosphere. Right. And then they get rid of his best wide receiver. Yes. And maybe his second best wide receiver too, Valquez Scandling. So that it was easier to see a path for them not being quite as successful as they have been recently. As far as the Vikings somehow having nine wins at this point in time and being uh, 53 games ahead in the division. Yes. Having a chance to clinch next weekend. (laughs) That, that would have been more improbable if you had tried to convince me of that at the beginning of the year. I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I've been on record saying I thought the Vikings were going to be seven and 10. That's not going to happen unless they retroactively take away some victories, which would be particularly cruel. Um, but you mentioned Rodgers. I mean, he well, was playing. Don't, you know, this is the Vikings. Yeah, that's true. He, but Rodgers was playing. He was the back to back MVP. Like he was playing at an MVP level. I guess, I guess, goes to show that Devontae Adams meant a lot to that offense. The offensive line having some issues and injuries for the. 40th year in a row for them is finally probably caught up to Rogers now that he's not quite as mobile and you know you get to a certain age and sometimes things just drop off a little bit more than you imagine and if you drop off a little the it it, you, it shows up a lot because the NFL is just such a fine line he still makes a lot of good he still makes a lot of big throws he just he just hasn't been the same all year and if his heart wasn't 100% into it that probably goes into it too well that's i think is really the key we just talked about the culture shift in minnesota right that how much they hated zimmer and how much of a breath of how much of a breath of fresh air it is not having him and his curmudgeonliness around if aaron rodgers is coming in with the type of attitude that we all perceive him having at this point in time that wasn't going to work out so well. No, no, it wasn't. Well, yeah, I guess the only thing I would conclude is that if you told me on November 29th that one team in the NFC North was going to be nine and two and nobody else in the in the division was going to have more than four wins, I would have had a pretty good idea of which team had the nine and which ones had four or less. And I would have been completely wrong. Well, and if you had told me at that point in time uh, how much you loved camels, yeah, I'm not entirely sure I would have believed it or that we would be talking about camels at this point. I blame all of that on you for bringing them up in Haiku 1. I really have no idea why uh, we started talking so much about camels on this episode of Daily Delivery. Uh, Keith and I are obviously uh, very good friends. We go way back, and sometimes when we get on a tangent, um, there is no... uh, there is no stopping us, no going back. So I just want to assure you, no camels were harmed in the making of this podcast. Let's finish with the cooler. Marco Rossi, wild forward, sent down to Iowa after a struggle to start the year. 16 games, one point this season. Playing a lot on the fourth line, maybe not playing with some of the top players, but he's struggled. Uh, let, let's face it, he's not played great. I don't think the team has put him in the best position to succeed, and he certainly has not found his way into success, at least not in the scoring column. Trying to do some of the little things right, prove he's a good 
two-way player. Hopefully he gets himself sorted out in the minors because that is someone they are counting on not just for this year, but future years. If guys like Marco Rossi don't pan out at this level, and again, there's no reason to think he won't figure this out because he's succeeded at every other level of his life and in fact had a great preseason. I think he led the, led the NHL in preseason scoring with like nine points. No reason to think he won't turn this around. But disappointing for them to be in this spot where they have to send him to Iowa or at least feel like they have to send him to Iowa. And, you know, hopefully this isn't self-fulfilling prophecy for them. Hopefully they aren't uh, aren't putting him in such bad positions that he's not able to succeed. But, you know, even if you're playing on the fourth line, you should be able to, to get some offense going, should be able to earn your way up the lineup. So I, I'm, I'm putting part of this on the wild, but I'm putting a lot of this on Rossi. He just has not had a good start to the season, and he needs to go down to Iowa rediscover his game, bring it back up here because they could use him for the rest of this season. That'll do it for today. Uh, Like I said, Chris Hine coming up on Wednesday show for a deeper look at the 10 and 11 Timberwolves. Not great. Probably talk some World Cup soccer on Wednesday show too. Big U.S. versus Iran game coming up at 1 p.m. today. Check that out. Stay safe. Be back at it again on Wednesday.